Hi there and welcome to the Book Realities Podcast, a series of interviews with independently minded authors where we explore their books, their writing techniques, and what made them become a writer in the first place. I'm your host, Ian Hooper, and as well as being an independent author, I also run the Book Reality Experience. Hi everybody and welcome to another Book Realities, our series of interviews with independent authors. And today we're joined by a special guest. Now, she is the author of Of Crowns and Legends. She was also the author of a particularly viral tweet last December, but we'll get to all of that. For now, welcome Chelsea Banning to Book Realities. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, congratulations on your success, even if it was a surprise, but <laughs> we'll get onto that at the end. Um, for now, for those that don't know Chelsea Banning, who are you and where are you talking to us from and what do you get up to? Uh, so, hi, I'm Chelsea. I am a full-time author now. Um, I was a former librarian and uh, I'm coming from... Warren, Ohio, which is in Northeast Ohio, United States. And you're 12 hours fully behind Australia. So as my day is dawning, your yep. evening is coming in. Yeah. Yep, exactly 12 hours between us. Brilliant stuff. So we'll get on to Of Crowns and Legends as well, which <laughs> is an Arthurian fantasy legend based mm-hmm. on the Arthurian tradition, but with a, a few <laughs> major plot twists that some might yes. not be familiar with. Um, <laughs> But let's start at the beginning. When did Chelsea decide that Chelsea was going to be a writer? It started in high school. I was about 15, I think. Uh, I was in 11th grade, um, which is the year before we graduate. And my English program that year, my English teacher, um, we were doing like early British lit and we had to read Le Morte d'Arthur. And she teamed up with the other 11th grade English teacher and they made this really cool like project to go along with it. So we had to read it. But then instead of like writing an essay or having like a test on it or something, we had our pick of different projects. Um, We could make a magazine, like a gossip magazine um, and have like all of like the points and like, oh, no, Lancelot and Guinevere spotted kiss it, you know, kind of stuff like that. Um, we could film like scenes from it, um, or we could like write a a little fairy tale. Um, I decided to write a fairy tale and I found I really liked that. And I discovered what was called flash fiction. And for those that don't know, flash fiction is short, short stories that are maybe a page or two long. And... I started writing flash fictions and then I got kind of, I guess, a spark of an idea about original characters happening within the Arthurian legends. And it just kind of went from there. That's fantastic. So that was the first story that you started working on, ultimately led Mm -hmm. to your first novel. Yep. Yeah, I've been working on it off and on for about 15, 16 years. Wow. Wow. And obviously you said that you became a librarian, so you went to college and decided to follow a librarian career pathway, or was it just simply you thought a love of books, you can get paid while you read? 
Um, I did not go to college for library science. I initially started um, as an education major. I wanted to be a teacher. I kind of, the more I got through that, the more I was like, I don't think I want to deal with this. And then I was having trouble passing what's called the Praxis test. And it was this test you had to pass before you could get to your upper level classes in education. I couldn't pass the math portion. I tried like three times. And by that point, I couldn't I couldn't spend $80 per test. So I ended up switching to just straight English because I was taking English classes. So I declared an education major with a uh, um, specialty, I guess, in English because I wanted to teach literature. So I already had all these English classes under my belt. So switching wasn't a big idea, wasn't a big deal. And then so I graduated with just a BA in English without any clue of what to do. So I just kind of floated around for a while. I worked at a really cool historical auditorium that did all kinds of like big events. Like we had, um, oh gosh, we had really big names like ZZ Top and Celtic Woman and like all kinds of big names. But of course the pandemic happened and then I saw a uh, listing for a local library and I applied there and I was the teen librarian there for about an hour hour and a half a year and a half <laughs> and um but then with what happened with the tweet and stuff I decided to become a full-time author brilliant I I love your modesty by the way I only graduated <laughs> with a BA in English you know um, <laughs> I yeah that that's a very modest uh, statement I also <laughs> love your pick of the two bands that you went for to illustrate how big that place was ZZ yeah. Top and Celtic mm -hmm. Women yeah I mean, we we had big names. Yeah, but we that's a, a I mean, if you'd said ZZ Top and I don't know Led Zeppelin, <laughs> I'd have thought, okay, but yeah. Celtic women and ZZ Top. I mean, that would be a that yeah. would be a playbill I'd pay to see. I also noticed oh as, you were, as you were adjusting your headphones earlier, did I notice a Clada ring on your finger? Oh yes. Um, yep, my wedding ring is a Clada ring. Um, this is my second wedding ring. My first one we had, <laughs> we got matching tungsten rings engraved with quotes from. Um, uh game of thrones <laughs> um, why um, why wouldn't you yeah right but yeah i've got my clotter ring and then i've got a celtic dragon double dragon ring that my husband got for me for my book and then i've got the celtic triquatra and so is there an irish connection with the father or did you just like it i just liked it um i do like ireland i've always wanted to visit um and i really love the um folklore and the fairies so I thought when I was little, I thought I had family that came from Ireland, but it turns out I was wrong. Oh. <laughs> so. That's quite all right. Well, obviously, as a completely biased person, if you ever do touch down in God's own country, uh, you obviously <laughs> have to go up to the northeast, the coast mm -hmm. road from my hometown of Larne, all the way up to, to the Giants Causeway, which is um. all of um, the Nine Glens. And we've got all sorts of fairy and folklore. And, and of course, it's also where Game of Thrones was predominantly mm -hmm. filmed so mm -hmm. yeah, um, there's there's all sorts of bucket list tick lists that you can do there oh yeah oh yeah that's i want to go so bad and visit i'd love to move there but my husband doesn't want it <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a long commute depending on what he's doing um so let's talk about of crowns and legends then so uh, for people that will obviously know the arthurian legend king arthur based on 
probably not real, probably folklore, manages mm. to limp through to around about the 11th, 12th century when a British guy gets hold of it and and mm-hmm. adds all this superfluous stuff to it. Um, but you've taken, so everybody knows, most people know rather, Arthur, Guinevere betrays him with Lancelot, there's all sorts mm-hmm. of things, and he lives in Camelot. Whoop. Mm-hmm. But you've taken it from when Arthur is dead, mm-hmm. and he's now got these two kids which don't appear anywhere else in the folklore. He's got Ar- um, mm-hmm. Alwyn and Ariadne. Mm-hmm. And then... And then what, without giving the spoiler away at the end? So it takes place about 20 years after Arthur has died. And um, Guinevere has been ruling as regent until Anwal is of age to take the crown himself. And it is a story that follows Anwal and Ariadne. Um, and of course, it's a fantasy story. So there's an upcoming war and there's a villain that they have to defeat. Uh, but it's it's mostly their journey of coming to adulthood and dealing with a very sheltered childhood and learning to live um, under their father's shadow. Um, you know, he's passed away, so he's kind of become like a legend himself, you know, a legend, like almost like a godlike figure to the people of Camelot. And how do they live up to that? Um, so a lot of it is their journey dealing with, you know, this trauma. <laughs> and of course you have magical villains and faith coming into play and different countries. Um, old enemies might return. And and at the end, it's certainly not a happy ever after ending because this is set up beautifully in the last chapter. I will not say how or why, but it's <laughs> really set up with one of those dun-dun-dun moments Mm-hmm. That leads obviously into book two and book three and book four and book five. How many books are we are we going to see? Three. This will three. be a three book series. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So it was going well. You had a fantastic artist. You you are writing as an independent author, a properly mm-hmm. what I consider a properly professionally published independent author. So you've paid for editing. You have Mm -hmm. got graphic design. You have got formatting. Mm -hmm. It's all done. You've got a most amazing cover, which I will put up at some point over there, probably. (laughs) Thank you. There or somewhere. Um, And you decide to have a book reading or a book launch in your local bookstore. Yeah. So um, there's this bookstore in my husband's hometown um, that's, I always think of it as kind of like, narnia a little bit it's like this little magical whimsical shop and they have all kinds of like antique books lots of like first editions and i saw that they had done another author signing there and i sold my book at a local comic-con so it was kind of different i was a i had like a vendor table but i didn't have like a author signing technically and so i reached out to uh joe he's the owner um, with his wife, Sarah, for Pretty Good Books. And I was like, hey, you know, I saw you did this. Would you be up to hosting another local author? And they were like, yeah, come on out. And so I did. And my friends, I had two friends show up and a couple people wander in. Um, my friends Mark and Gabby came and a couple um, uh, loyal patrons to the bookstore came. But I was, I had thought, 
<laughs> more people would come out but now we should give a plug so it's nothing to do with the bookstore this is and we'll get into why these things happen but this is a bookstore it's called pretty good books pretty good books and it is in it's in ashtabula ohio so it's about an hour north of me and it's um my husband's hometown right so a huge shout out to a local bookstore that's going to give an independent yes. author even a, a chance of doing a signing yes I have to say that I have been to a signing where I didn't know how many books to take and I was told, mm -hmm. oh, well, you're going to be plugged on to the end of this mm -hmm. festival and it's probably going to be huge. Mm -hmm. And so I ordered for my first ever book appearance, I ordered 200 books and I brought oh, yes. 196 of them home. Oh, and no. I was so <laughs> depressed. Um, yeah. And then the next one, because it had a library backing it, I was hugely mm -hmm. fortunate. So I walked in, the library had mass email lists, et cetera, et cetera, and 35 yeah. people turned up. Hooray. Nice. But that's not actually what happened to you, because your next book signing, and we'll get to what happened in the middle, <laughs> your next book signing happened when and where? So immediately after the first one, I was still working at the library at that time and we set up a book signing there. Um, and so, and where I worked at the library was closer to my hometown. Uh, so like my local news stations and papers came out and a lot of like friends from high school came and people I knew had, that I'd grown up with around the area and stuff. So they all came. So that was a really big success. There was about 75 people there, which was about our max capacity. It was a, I worked at, it was a small library that I worked at. Um, and then we made a big one at Pretty Good Books and we gave ourselves a little bit of time to get everything set up. Um, so we had that one at the end of January of this year. And how many people turned up at that, would you guess? 300 or so, 300 <laughs> plus. <laughs> there was a line down the road. So it's, so it's on Main Street in Ashtabula. Um, so there is... Um, all of Maine is just local businesses and stuff. And they were just down, down the road, but we'd also had, oh gosh, I can't even remember how many other authors, a long list of authors that had came out. I invited a ton of local authors and some of my other indie author friends. Um, and everybody had an amazing, amazing selling day. Like people came out in droves to support everyone, not just me, but everyone who came. And it was amazing. Huge congratulations on that. And now we'll get to how did we go from two to <laughs> 300 plus? So in December, <laughs> I saw a tweet, but it wasn't mm -hmm. from you, to be fair. I saw a tweet from a guy who most people who are of their end of fantasy would know was a guy called Neil Gaiman. Um, because yep. you had mm -hmm. tweeted, and we'll put the tweets up as well, but you had tweeted, oh, I've had a book signing and two people turned up. To which yeah. Neil Gaiman replied to you and said what? Do you remember? Uh, he said I did better than a signing for uh, him and Terry Pratchett where nobody's showed up. <laughs> yeah. So Terry Pratchett, who we should all, you know, we should all do that when we mention Terry right. Pratchett's name. <laughs> right, right. So Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett had had a signing. I think he said it was in New York, although I'll put the tweet up. I think um, so. For yeah. good omens and nobody turned up. And of course, as soon as Neil mm -hmm. said it, then you kind of got a bit of a, a rolling ball. Who else was pitching in there? When I checked on Sunday, 
a few hours after I sent the tweet out, I was seeing names like Robin Hobb, um, Min Jin Lee, Rebecca Mackay, um, and I saw um, Margaret Atwood, and then there was um, Sean Cassidy. Sean Cassidy, yeah. Sean Cassidy replied, and Henry Winkler replied, and I think it was like Henry Winkler that kind of sent it off outside of the book world. Um, so that kind of, and then my favorite, favorite one, even though I love all these authors, was Flavor Flav. So, <laughs> so that was that was a fun that was a fun reply. Um, so, but yeah, there was so many, and Stephen King replied, and he plugged the bookstore event in January, which is why we got a ton of people coming. And that was amazing just to see these big, big authors still support the smaller authors. I loved Stephen King's tweet. I think Stephen King's was (laughs) done his signing in Salem and Mm -hmm. one kid turned up and asked him where he could get books on a certain subject. And King just, yeah, (laughs) it was super. Yeah. The other thing about that was that that was the that was the visible that you saw on Twitter. The I mean, you mm-hmm. went from I don't know how many followers you had previously. You've now got quarter of a million, give or take. Oh no, um, I had I probably had a couple hundred. Most of them were probably bots. Um, now I have about fourteen point six thousand. Oh, I thought so. it was quite a, oh maybe it was the the viewing figures on one of the tweets I saw had been seen. Oh by, yeah, probably, yeah. Had been seen by heaps and heaps. Mind you, fourteen yeah. and a half thousand Twitter followers is mm. no mean feat. Um Mm-mm. what I loved about it was in the background, invisible to you, was people coming to me going, Have you seen? Which must have happened <laughs> to lots of independent authors around the yes. world. People mm-hmm. coming to us knowing that we were also independent authors going, oh, my gosh, have you seen what's happening here? And we were all going, mm-hmm. yes, we have. And we're hugely pleased for <laughs> yeah. it. We love it. Because yeah. there's that horrible, there's that horrible, I do, I am not envious. I, I am not envious. I am completely mm-hmm. supportive and very happy. And we are yeah, yeah. very, very happy. Yeah. Because if it can happen that one independent author makes their break and breaks another mm-hmm. little barrier down for traditional yes. guardians. It's hugely yes. important. Yes, it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know I've gotten a lot of followers who aren't really like in the book community. Um, I just, I got, I got a lot of followers that just kind of like were fans of like Stephen King's movies or something. And they were like, I didn't realize that there was this different kind of publishing. And so a lot of people learned that independent authors existed and that, you know, we were kind of like struggling against traditional published authors to get into bookstores. And so there's been a lot of learning and eye-opening to independent authors, which has been, I think, really, really cool. It is cool. It's we we're getting there. I'm I'm, I'm guessing we've been going mm-hmm. as a as a movement, not that we're yeah, not we're yeah. that type of movement, <laughs> yeah. but probably yeah. about ten years now, give or take. People would say yeah. maybe a little bit earlier. Amazon KDP mm-hmm. was the changing, but yeah. Um, and I know YouTube helped a lot, especially before like TikTok and stuff, because that's where I got all of my information. I followed other indie authors who published. 
And I watch their videos about, you know, this is how you publish on KDP. There's this other platform. This is what they do. And then I know TikTok has been really, really helpful for indie authors as well. Like I know a lot of like the popular spicy book talk books are actually indie published books, but they're in like Barnes and Noble or Books a Million, like those big chain stores that usually are kind of like, no, we just get traditionally published books. Um, So a lot of that, like it helps, like even though there's like, it's romance, um, which is like, I think it makes the most money out of anything in the book world. Um, There's still indie books and that's amazing. We've had huge success with especially our American authors in Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble's been very, very happy to accommodate independent authors in as book signings. So we've got uh, Wanda Mm -hmm. Penalver Belvin, one of our poets. She's doing a book signing on the 22nd of April in Barnes and Noble in Finland, etc. I should say, by the way, we, we, me, uh, I stumbled (laughs) through how to produced my first three books and then having figured it out I ran a training company mm-hmm. so I thought yeah. I shall run a training course and teach other yeah. people how to do it and at the end of the training people yeah. came up and said I don't want to do it can you do it for me and that's how we <laughs> that's how book reality was born yeah. so and yeah because it's it's overwhelming and hard and I had owned a small business before and I think if I didn't I don't think I would have went the indie publishing route because it can be, you know, overwhelming and there's a lot to it and a lot to kind of understand. Um, So I know a lot of people just, they're just like, no, I can't. It's too much. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we thought that we might help one or two or three people and that was six Mm -hmm. years ago. And now we've helped 75, 80 authors, 110 books. That's amazing. California to Queensland. Mm -hmm. It's all to do with independent authors being really out there supporting each other. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say that's one of the things I loved about my tweet going viral is people saw how supportive writers are with each other and how supportive that writing community is. It does open the doors to places that I never thought. And so... Mm -hmm. For example, we can now do, uh, obviously we always could, but we can now break into the audiobook markets, etc. Here's a here's a fun fact you'll like. I managed to get my crime novels narrated by Gemma Whelan, um, <gasps> which was Yara Greyjoy on Game of Thrones. Oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> I know it was. It, <laughs> that's was, so it cool. was very, yeah, it was one of those pinch me moments. It's like, oh my goodness, Gemma Whelan said she'll do my book. That's great. Um, oh my god, that is so cool. <laughs> it was very cool. Um, right, so let's go back to Chelsea as the writer then. How do you how, I was gonna say how do you write well? Um, but <laughs> is it do you have laptop, do you handwrite, do you have to be in a specific room at a time of the day, or do you fit it in when you're at cafes? How how does Chelsea Banning actually go about writing? So I used to write longhand in notebooks and stuff, and I wish I could still do that, but I have since injured my wrist um, being on a computer too much. I've got tennis and invitis, so I can't hold a pencil for too long anymore, and I've got like all kinds of ergonomic setups. I have to have a vertical mouse and stuff, um, so I do write on a laptop. I have my laptop um, at eye level, and I've got a keyboard. When I was working... I would write on like my breaks and I would like fit in writing time any anywhere I could. Um, I have an office here at my new house. We moved in in 2020. So I have an office here and that's where I do most of my writing. Sometimes I move around the house if I need like a little bit different 
Um, sometimes I'll handwrite scenes out if I feel like I really need to work something out. I do tend to outline by hand first, because um, it's a lot less writing than writing out full scenes. Um, and I have various notebooks, research notes, and ideas that pop into my head that I don't want to uh, forget for later. Um, sometimes I go out to cafes. They have to be quiet cafes, though. I can't I can't work at like those really fun, boisterous cafes. I love them. Can't work there. <laughs> but so I usually when, have to have headphones on. When you're working, so, home, do you have music on in the background or do you get up at 6 a.m. and religiously work <laughs> now until 6 p.m.? Or uh, So I do get up early because the kid has to go to school. Um, but I tend to write later in the day. I like to get a lot of my housework done first or else I'll just be like too distracted. Um, I actually, I do listen to a lot of like fantasy music, um, but mostly I actually write to like ambient sounds. Um, so if I'm writing a medieval feast, I'll find medieval feast ambiance videos. So you can hear like a lute in the background or something, a fire going, people eating, silverware clacking. Um, just the other day I was writing a scene where that takes place in a in busy palace corridors. So I found this ambiance of palace corridors. And every once in a while you can hear like guards and their chainmail swishing and you can hear like giggling or something. Like you can hear like female voices, male voices, you can hear footsteps and stuff like that, or like um just like an ambient sound of people passing through the corridors. I find that that really helps, especially because I'm not very good at description. So having those kind of ambient sounds so I can hear them in my head um, really helps with like description and writing in the character senses, what they hear, what they see, what they might smell. Very yeah, good. That was long-winded. <laughs> no, I think that's a, that's a brilliant, I'm, I've never heard of people writing to that ambient sound and you're right. It's a, I mean, you can you can describe walking down a car a corridor, but if you're mm -hmm. writing walking down a corridor, you have to bring in the mm -hmm. five senses so that the people know what yep. they can hear and see and feel. And yeah, and feel. I'm the type of person who doesn't really see stuff in their head when they read. I see like fuzzy, very vaguely detailed stuff in my head. Like I've never seen like a character's face. They're almost like those faceless mannequins to me. So having those ambient sounds, like I can hear the guard, like I can, like the one with the palace corridor is that you could hear the guards marching and you can hear their chainmail swishing and um, like some clanging of their weapons. And then I, so I can picture that kind of in my head a little bit. And so then I can, it helps kind of wake my brain up. And I then mean, I can you say, can you know, yeah. Yeah. Heard and that know. helps with, so I, because I can't see it, but I can hear it so I can, describe it i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> yeah that makes perfect sense because we've all got yeah. everybody's got a stronger sense um that right yeah require and that's mm -hmm. that's a great prompt for making sure that you do fill in yeah. the tapestry of the detail um so yeah, when to... i write sorry go oh, on. sorry go ahead well i was just gonna say when i write first drafts they all have white room syndrome like i never describe anything <laughs> so having that ambiance kind of keeps me from white room syndrome all the time very good um, I was going to say about those, you mentioned scenes and that first draft, which is, you know, a blank piece of paper in a white room. Do you have the whole book plotted out? Are you a, are you a very outlined, plotted 
uh, thematic all the way through? You know what's happening in book two and book three? Uh, I tried to be. Um, when I first started this book, I didn't outline or anything. I kind of didn't really know how to go about writing a novel. I didn't really know much about like creative writing. Um, even in college, because I studied like books instead of like writing, I took a couple creative writing classes, but they were like short form writing and stuff. Um, and I could never get past like the first like five chapters. So I was like, whoa, so I should try to outline so I know where it's going. So I'm not changing stuff. And I did make a detailed outline for book one, but I'm learning for book two, even after I made a fully detailed outline that it kind of, it hinders me a little bit. So I know the major plot points of book two, but I'm just kind of free writing to get there, if that makes, if that makes sense. So I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a mix between a plotter and a pantser. It makes perfect sense. Some of the most successful writers that I've listened to at festivals and fairs have said that they sit down with a blank piece of paper and a single idea and they just let mm -hmm. it flow. Uh, yeah, I'm finding we, that works best for me. Yeah, um, which is fantastic. Um, Lee Child, I think it was, that said he just writes um, mm -hmm. with, with that idea. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm obviously envious of those people that are master <laughs> plotters because they can do stuff yeah. that I can't where they think, you know, it's yeah. all outlined. Um, however, so when you're not writing, then what do you get up to? Uh, I read a lot. Uh, we have a monthly D&D session um, with some friends. I love going to Comic-Cons. Um, my husband and I work at Ren Fairs. Uh, he jousts. And I've worked, we've both worked like street cast. I've worked a clothing booth. Um, we've both worked the joust. I've done squiring and like I'm seeing the joust before. So I, I visit Ren Fairs all the time. We go camping in the summer. So very cool. <laughs> so when you say Comic Con, have you been invited mm -hmm. to attend a Comic Con? Will that be? I haven't been invited to. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll be going to the Grand Rapids Comic Con in Michigan, and then I have another Comic Con that I will be going to in September. That's a little closer to home that I'm not allowed to say yet. Very good. It's, <laughs> so, it's and I, I'm sorry. Uh, my home Comic Con is the Great Lakes Geek Fest, and. Um, I think we're working on being a guest there or something or helping them out. I don't I don't know yet. But Very I know good. the I'm friends with the guys who run it. So it's an interesting thing that you say there. When you're um I was invited, I was lucky, very lucky that I knew someone that ran a festival and I was invited mm -hmm. to speak at the festival as an author. Yeah. And then I he knew someone who ran another festival yeah. and I got invited. Mm -hmm. But when those organizers changed Trying to get mm -hmm. into festivals was that traditional door again. It was, you know, yeah. you bang your head against it. So we've actually decided, I've decided, <laughs> um, on September the 14th next year, so 2024, uh -huh. uh, we're going to host what I hope will be the inaugural Independent Author Book Festival in the UK. That's awesome. That would be so cool. I know there's a ton of author fests and book fests in the states i don't know of any like indie author specifically no. I don't think so this any. will be completely independent author driven so there'll be a reading so site cool. so there'll be a stream for readers to come along and listen to their independent author favorites but there'll also be mm -hmm. an independent author writer stream so that indies that want to learn how to do it can come along 
Um, so we'll talk so later cool. about perhaps getting you across to the UK for that. That might be fun. Yeah. Um, but we're starting really cool. off with a series of book fairs. So we're going to run one in Western mm -hmm. Australia, because that's where we're based. And we're going to run one mm -hmm. in Cambridgeshire in the UK on the 30th of April. That's going to be the first one. That's because so of what cool. you were just saying, that when you try and get through that door, unless mm -hmm. you know someone on the other side or you're lucky. Right, right. Um, so we're going mm -hmm. to try and change the landscape a bit. So that should be fun. Yeah, yeah. It's all about you got to know people. And that's... It's one of the things I'm going to talk about on my panel at Grand Rapids is networking and getting to know people. I met so many cool people at Ren Fairs that do so many cool things. And it's just, you just got to get out there, especially as indie authors. I feel like word of mouth, you got to get that word of mouth. Like we can throw our stuff at TikTok and Facebook and stuff as much as we want. But I really think with indie authors, you got to really get out there and get to know people because like you said, you know, we both knew someone who ran a con and then they knew someone and then they knew someone. So, and it's a lot easier when you know people, unfortunately. <laughs> would, that be your, would that be your number one tip for the, the independent author who's thinking of starting out? Yeah, is make connections. Definitely. Um, even it, you can make connections online and, you know, and also, but you have to be careful because you don't want to make connections just to get your, like, you don't want to feel dishonest about making those connections, if that makes sense. Like if people think, oh, they're just talking to me because they want me to buy something like that's that's not great. You got to support you got to support each other. So you got to make those connections and support the connections you made. And, you know, basically you pat your back, you pat my back, I'll pat yours kind of thing. Um, but you got to be like honest and true about it if that makes any sense <laughs> it does it's it makes perfect sense and it's the my best piece of advice i was given was social media has got the word mm -hmm. social at the front of it yes mm -hmm. whereas when i'd started i was going oh look i've written a book oh look i've written mm -hmm. a book oh look and someone mm -hmm. said that's not social that's just set selling mm -hmm. media that's selling media that's just ad advertisement yeah. yeah so don't do that be social mm -hmm be supportive, yes. be engaging, be networking. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. was a great piece of advice. And it's exactly what you say, that if you are going yeah. to show support, you have to show it uh, genuinely and, and not, yes. not just because they might buy a copy of your book. Right, right. You got to help each other out. With regards to feedback then that you've had since mm -hmm. the viral tweet and everything exploded, uh, there's mm -hmm. tons and tons of good feedback. I have seen lots and lots yeah. of, in fact, the vast majority, and I sh when we should say this, the absolute vast majority of your feedback has been four and five stars. Yeah, and that's but, so cool. <laughs> but you're now a proper author and you've had yes. some one stars. Like we've all, we've all uh, had yeah. that pain of shame, which is like having that yeah. dagger put through your heart. How do you deal with that? Yep. I try not to read them. You know, as an indie author, it's hard. Um, you know, all these big name authors will say, you know, don't read the reviews. But as an indie author, you kind of almost need to, especially because you don't have six, seven or eight or I don't even know how many people looking at your book as a traditional published author would. You don't have these. You don't have full teams of editors. So you don't have maybe 12. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Right. You might only have one editor or something. So getting that kind of feedback, um, like I actually got quite a lot of feedback about how sometimes my clothing descriptions are too much and they take people out. So that's something I'm going to keep an eye on in book two. But I the 10 beta readers that I had and the one editor that I had didn't catch it, you know, so like but a ton of other people did. Um, so that's something I'm going to look out for, for book two. Um, and with the one stars, some of them hurt because some of them I felt like were a little mean. Um, I'm not going to call them out because they're allowed, you're allowed to review books. Um, but the ones that kind of hurt, I'll talk to my friends about it. And then they'll be like, why are you reading these? Don't do it to yourself, you know? And they're like, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. Um, but the other ones, it's like, you know, you feel that, oh, and then you just got to move on and then you read like the four or five star reviews. And it, what's really funny is I have a screenshot of a five star review right next to a one star review and everything the one star review hated, the five star review absolutely loved. And I have that save to remind myself that, you know, these readers opinions are objective and what someone hates, someone will love. So that's a really good way to remind yourself to not let some of the negative or less than positive ones kind of get to you. My favorite reviews are the ones that are a little more critical. Like some of my favorite reviews are actually three-star reviews. They'll say, this is everything I liked, but this kind of felt a little lacking. And then they go into why. So I kind of use that almost as like uh, feedback from like a beta reader or a developmental editor almost. And I'll kind of be like, okay, you know, maybe I can, keep this in mind for some other books or something, you know, as an independent author, it's nice to read the reviews and get that feedback, but it's also. <laughs> it I, think that's a, I think that's an exceptionally good approach, especially those really valuable reviews that have obviously been written by someone who has read your book and considered it and is mm -hmm. not just giving, I don't mm -hmm. like this. They're giving critical right. and constructive mm -hmm. criticism. Uh, right, I know right. that, when I got my first one star, I was mortally wounded. I didn't know what yeah. to do. And I yeah. went to an author friend of mine and he said, well, one, it's a badge of honor because everybody gets one star reviews. So take yep. mm -hmm. and two, yep. he sent me a review which had been written by someone and it said, I don't like this story. I think there's too many characters in it. They're all a bit wishy-washy and it sort of lost me. And I especially don't like the lead character who I just can't um, relate to, mm -hmm. one star. And I had to give it one star because you're not allowed to give it no stars. And mm -hmm. I went, wow, that's a bit harsh. Who, who's that written about? Was that one of yours? And he said, mm -hmm. no, no, no. And then he sent me the rest of the review screenshot and it was Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. And I kind oh, of yeah. thought, well, you know what? If Dickens is getting a one star, I'll I'll take my one star and wear it, yeah. wear it there. So. Oh yeah, I mean, Stephen Stephen King's got a bunch of one star reviews. Like, I know uh, a lot. Of, some of my author friends were talking about, you know, if you ever feel down about your writing, go to the one stars of your favorite authors. Yeah, just gives you that <laughs> bit like, of a boost. <laughs> right, right. Every everybody gets one stars. You know, if you don't get a one star. And it's funny because a lot of readers will actually side eye books that don't have one star reviews because they think that the author may have bought 
the reviews or it's just their friends and family who are just like, yay, I love this book. Of course, it's my daughter or something. So we should also point out that nowadays, if you haven't on certain commercial sites without naming anybody, if you haven't bought enough product or products yeah. on those sites, you won't actually be allowed to leave a review. It, it now right. bars yeah. them. Uh, so when trying yeah. to get reviews is the other thing that independent authors mm-hmm. struggle for. We we it's the yeah. lifeblood of a book on certain commercial sites. Yeah, yeah, in in. It's that big website we all love to hate, right? Yeah. yeah, they're actually getting, they're cracking down on reviews too, a little bit. Um, I've I've noticed that you can't leave reviews until the book is out now, which is a problem on um, Goodreads. Because um, people will like, if a book's not out and then, I don't know, the author says something, they'll hate review it without even reading it or something. Or they'll five-star review it without even reading it if they like the author. And that really upsets people. Like I have... <laughs> There, I have this book that I was going to publish. So it's on um, Goodreads because I had a pre-order up for it and stuff. And then I scrapped it. Someone rated it five stars, even though it says unpublished. I'm like, you didn't read this because I don't have it out in the world. So it's like, why? Why? Um, but yeah, I know the big Zon is cracking down on reviews. So it's even harder to, especially for books. It's another it's another little hurdle that we all have to overcome, especially yeah. as <laughs> Um, Chelsea, listen, thanks ever so much for taking out a large chunk of your Sunday yeah. evening. That's very kind of you. Um, we no usually problem. try to end with, uh, completely plagiarised, by the way, so I'm putting it out there. We've taken the Actors <laughs> Studios questionnaire and we've oh, kind of taken that. Stephen that. Colbert's questionnaire and we've kind of smashed them together and we've come up with oh, a I range of questions. Um, okay. Quick fire, okay? Okay. So... Chelsea Banning, author of Crimes and Legends, book one of a trilogy about Arthurian fantasy. What is your favourite book? Oh, my gosh. I go through moods. Um, Right? My favourite book at the moment is The Other Merlin by Robin Schneider. I also love the Akatar series by Sarah J. Maas and The Book Thief by Marcus Dusak. Those are like my top, top, top books. Very good. And if you have one, what would be your least favourite book? I don't know. I don't think I have one. So Um, you you wouldn't get past chapter one of a book that you didn't like? Yeah, I I DNF pretty quick. So if I don't like if I don't like a book, I put it I put it aside and it's just not for me. I don't I don't like hate read books or anything. So I don't. Yeah, life's too short to (laughs) suffer. I don't know. Right, right. Creativity-wise, so in a whole life context, what turns you on? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess just any good story, whether it be movie, TV show, book, any any good story. I guess that's very vague, but I, I don't know. <laughs> no, that works. And in the same context, what turns you off? <sighs> Bad dialogue. Very good. What well, and, and is that in person when you meet someone at the bus stop? That bad dialogue or <laughs> no, I guess with um I get I get inspired by like other books and TV and movies and stuff. Summer or winter? Summer. And on a completely free day to do anything you want, who do you spend it with? My husband. Mountains or oceans? Mountains. 
kind of had to be in Ohio, really, didn't it? You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're a long shot from an ocean. Um, what is your favorite movie? Or I'll give you TV series. Uh, my favorite movie is where I got banning from, and it is Hook, starring Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman. Very good. And one song to listen to for the rest of your life. I have no idea. I'm not I'm not a big music listener a lot. So I really I really couldn't narrow it down. So we'll have to make that ambience album on on your probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Very good. Um who makes you laugh the most? Oh, it is it is so hard to pick between my Renfair friends. <laughs> couldn't oh my gosh. So with regards to that fair, taking a step out from these quick fires for a minute, yeah. um, when you go to the fairs, because I've seen you in the, the headshot that we're going to use for the mm -hmm. promotion of yeah. the video, um, that looks like you're in a leather, uh, not leather armour, obviously, but a leather it's, battle dress. Yeah. It's a leather riding coat. And is that a particular character or a particular type of character that you play? I was actually dressed as Ari. In that, in that we, um, my friend, one of my best friends, Bree, she owns a princess company and that's how we met. Cause I used to own a princess company. We did birthday parties as princesses and superheroes and the Girl Scouts of Northeast Ohio have this huge like slumber party in a mall and it's called girls night in or something. Um, and that year it was like a medieval themed. So I got hired and I had my husband come out and a couple other Renfair friends and one of the um, musicians that I know from fair. Um, he's known as Captain Stout. Um, I had them come out. We did some fight scenes on stage and we taught some medieval dancing and Captain Stout did some um, shanties and stuff. And we all had characters and I'm like, well, I'm working on this book. I'll just dress as this character. So I was actually dressed as Ari in that photo. <laughs> Fantastic. It, it looks really great. Um, okay, back to the quick fires. Okay. Um, yeah. What smell do you love? Campfire. What smell do you hate? Sewage. <laughs> Other than being a writer, which is now your profession, mm -hmm. what would you like to attempt? So something I haven't done before. Yeah. Other than other than the professions you've done in life, what would you like to be? Oh gosh. I don't know. I I feel like I, I'm doing what I want. Um maybe I maybe I tried being a teacher. So I didn't okay. actually follow through with that. And that'll put you on the spot. What would you like to teach? Uh books. books. <laughs> or history. Excellent. Um, I initially wanted to go for history, so. Okay. And what profession would you definitely not like to do? Oh, anything like factory or construction. Um, or retail. Or retail. <laughs> or retail. I'm done. <laughs> I am so done with retail. <laughs> Is that because you have got no control over the person that's on the other side of the counter? Uh, it's because I did it for like 15 years and I am done. <laughs> I don't, don't want to be screamed at anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Your dogs are waiting for you. Very nice. 
<laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Chelsea, listen, thanks ever so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Congratulations on what is a terrific example to all independent authors that if you just keep going and, you know, if you just keep doing what Dory said or didn't say, just keep writing and just keep going, <laughs> um, everything works out exactly yes. as it should. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. Oh, that's cool. No worries. Well, we'll talk later, hopefully, and we might even see each yes. other at the Independent Author Book Festival. That would be amazing. Okay, take care. <laughs> Bye, thank you. If you're an independent author and you'd like to be a guest on our podcast and YouTube channels, simply email guest at bookreality.com or visit our website at bookreality.com and have a look at our podcast page. Hey, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Book Realities, our interviews with author series. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and turn your notifications on so that you never miss any content updates from us. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or a review as it really helps the podcast's visibility, as does passing the pod on to any writers or author friends that you may have who you know will be interested in it. Well, that was the last episode in Series 2 of Book Realities. We're going to take a few weeks break, but when we come back in Series 3, we'll be having more interviews with independent authors, and if you're new to the podcast and the YouTube channel, by all means go back and revisit those episodes in Series 1 and 2, where we've interviewed authors from California to Queensland and all points in between. For now, we hope you stay safe and well. <laughs>